Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Jimmy. Jimmy is a psychotherapist and he's the podcast host of The Twilight Conversations. Uh, so thanks for joining us today, Jimmy. My pleasure. Welcome. Good to glad to be here, Dennis. Glad to have you. Thanks for accepting the invite. So I got in touch with Jimmy because I was listening to his podcast recently and I really enjoyed them. Um, I really enjoyed the kind of topics you're talking about, narcissism, addiction, being a psychotherapist, the type of challenges you see with people. So my first question is, why the podcast? Why did you decide to, to create the Toilet Conversations with D? Great question. Again, I, I kind of like telling this because it sounds like it's made up, but it actually really happened this way, you know. So D and I, were, we weren't friends. We didn't know each other, but we, we worked in the same therapy building at Dublin Counseling there in Garden Street. So we, we got to know each other in the kind of communal room, you know, and we had an instant kind of click connection and we, D was fingerless, I was Bally, and we had that kind of connection, you know, and we chatted and what it's like being a therapist, a working class therapist, and we were taking the piss and having fun, you know. Anyway, to, to I won't, I could do an hour on the, how that came about, but we began to banter a little bit and have a bit of fun. He's a very funny guy, you know, and I could slag him and he, him, me and all of that. Someone after a few weeks, there used to be a couple of other therapists who were on their breaks at the same time. And one of them says, you two should record that stuff. It's, it's really funny and it's you know, good. And and literally that's, you know, and Dee had, has a background. Uh, he's a very talented guy. He's a brilliant drummer, played in a great uh, band in Dublin back in the early 80s, mid 80s, 90s. Uh, he's got an acting background, you know. And he, so he was all over like, yeah, what do you think we should do it? And literally that's that's how it, how it was. And we both happened in our, our therapy work have worked a lot with narcissism or people affected by narcissism and addiction. I have a background work with addiction for a long time, you know. So that's really literally how it grew. What was the intention? And was it to like get across what you've learned over the years as psychotherapists and normalize these conversations? Or what was the intention of the podcast? At that in the beginning, it was nearly that maybe have been an unconscious kind of a thing. It was more like this could be a bit of fun. There's loads of people doing this podcast of the way. It was really enjoyable. Let's have a bit of fun. Mm. As we were doing it, maybe it emerged that maybe we could explore serious topics using a bit of humor as well. Being psychotherapists who are a bit irreverent, to, you know, the, the stereotype stuffy psychotherapists. I don't know how many of them there are, but yeah. you, you know what I mean? Um, people didn't necessarily speak the way we did or, you know, and to bring that into it, maybe to reach a different kind of, other than if you saw like psychotherapy podcast great there's some brilliant ones but there's probably i think people listening to us now that wouldn't necessarily go for a pure psychotherapy podcast but they're mm -hmm. picking up all right that's interesting i must read about that or then about that so it, it kind of grew that way plus that i named it one of the podcasts i think you've got to be a little narcissistic to want to do a podcast i don't know what your view is on that there's got to be something yeah. in, in me that says However nervous or anxious I am, I, I believe somehow people would like to listen to me and I've got something to say. You know, uh, I, I think you just have to own that. I mean, it's a small bit of narcissism and it's, it's been used productively. But yeah, there is that bit, isn't there? Yeah, like you have to have, I suppose it's kind of a fine line. You have to believe in yourself that you have something worth saying. And you're absolutely right. That's a narcissism, I guess. Isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think it is narcissism. You're that's a much more healthy way of putting it. You know, I was just trying to own like, God, who's this guy talking about narcissism? He's doing a podcast. How narcissistic can you be? Get? But you're yeah. right. It's it's a belief and a confidence. You're right. It's not necessarily real narcissism. And how did you find yourself getting into becoming a psychotherapist? Like, where was the drive to become one? Okay, well, that all began. I'm about thirty five years practicing now, coming at twenty five, maybe a little more. So I was um, living in Ballymun in Dublin um, in the 80s, which for those that don't know, would have, it's, it's a, was, is a fantastic place. I'll be going there shortly after this, this uh, podcast ends. Uh, but it, it was also fraught with a lot of problems. It was uh, built in the late 60s as part of the answer to Dublin's kind of tenement housing crisis in the 60s, 70s. And it was a huge, big project of these. I mean, they have them in all cities, but they don't have them in, in, in Rhode Island. Big high-rise flats, complexes, eight-story, 15-story, huge, two and a half thousand flats, all new. I mean, wonderful apartments inside. Lovely, everyone wanted to go there. You had to be vetted in the beginning. But 
very quickly over time, a lot of neglect, maybe I think from uh, the Dublin Corporation at the time, as they were called, of other issues, addiction taken hold, it became, you know, really, really problematic. A lot of social exclusion, unemployment, which was big in the 80s anyway. The heroin epidemic was gripping Dublin at that time, really. And, and among other areas in Dublin, Ballymun was one of the areas that it like... And it became a haven for dealing because of its structure, you know. Um, the flats became neglected. Uh, while all that was going on, while you had your stereotype, like, you know, drug dealing going on and crime and people shouting from flats and fighting, you had also ordinary people just living lives. You had great community groups going on. I was speaking about this on another podcast. Ballymore at the time was, like, way ahead. Uh, I'm a bit biased, obviously, on this one of probably most places in Ireland with community responses and groups to all kinds of things. Like men's sheds hadn't been heard of then. Ballymun had one. There was men, you know. So the while at the same, you got the paradox of this terrible deprivation and crime and chronic addiction, you know, and violence and all that goes with that. And this wonderful creativity, hope, uh, you know, uh, goodwill, people really wanting to do well, great intelligence all at the same time it's just there's a chaotic big sphere to use your chaos expression yeah so yeah that so from that to i mean obviously there's a, there's a whole a couple of hours podcast on each sentence there but i knew there was a local addiction drugs project called the youth action project it had just started in the mid 80s about 86 87 i knew of it but the woman who was the coordinator of that uh was mary ellen mccann started it with local people from Ballymun. She had worked in the Rutland Centre in the late 60s, no, sorry, the late 70s. And my father went through there at the time. And that type of treatment, you know, family members got involved, she went up to support. So I met her through that process. And she remembered me and heard I was in Ballymun and said, look, I want to come over to this project. And it kind of grew there because I had been kicked out of school. I didn't really have any, uh, you know, uh, qualifications in inverted commas um i was working as a painter and decorator on and off if there was work because that's what my family trade was and uh they had what was, what was called teamwork schemes at the time in the 80s it was kind of like a government thing where you got your dole but you got a couple of quid extra if you worked in a, a, a group or an organization and that type of thing you got so many hours mm -hmm. and that's literally they had a six month thing there and it just grew and they got more funding and one thing led to another really there. So it all really started there. I have a great debt of gratitude to that project and Bally Moon for my career, really, you know. How did you know you wanted to pursue psychotherapy? What, like what sort of qualities did you have that were leading you towards psychotherapy as a career? Lovely question, Dennis. I mean, I didn't know this at the time. Maybe I sensed or intuited it. I hadn't got the confidence to know this. But looking back now, I think uh, you know, the kind of empathy, uh, kind of patience. People tended to speak to me a lot. You know, trust those stuff that you can't really learn on a course. You can learn about them. I mm. think they're quite natural. You can develop them. Um, and I suppose all my life, people have always made their way to me to talk even in family you know and, and you know jimmy can i talk to you about in, in confidence blah, blah, blah. so whatever i was given off it was a safety and then with the classic non-judgmental piece and I'm, I'm not i mean i know since i'm not particularly that judgmental probably more of myself sometimes than anybody else but i've even eased off on that and it, maybe people sense that so before i did any kind of classic training i think there was something quite natural there as there is in many people you know that that and then doors opened, I believe, in synchronicity or spiritual vibe, you know, like even, and doors opened and they said, you're pretty good at this. And da -da 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 -da. We got training, we'll give you funding, you know, it kind of grew there. That's, they're the, the more natural qualities, I would say, uh, would be there. Kind of a, like an honesty as well, a clarity, you know, around things. Would there have been a self-honesty there as well quite early on for you or? I think so, yeah. As I said, through my, you know, my own dad going through a, a treatment centre like Rutland Centre in Dublin, which was 
but everyone now back then it had a fiercer reputation for being very confrontative and all the whole thing with addiction recovery and rightly so is getting honest whatever way you know that can be done harshly which isn't helpful but you've mm. really got to get honest so i started to take that on board more and i became interested in reading stuff about that and recovery and addiction and what all that meant and even realizing my own kind of problematic use as a teenager just before it leaned into full-on addiction understanding that a bit more and the what, what was behind that for me and what was going on for people really you know just the basic i was reading man's search for meaning back at the time and all kinds of stuff that people are suffering really you know people are not bad there's the, the odd one you know? yeah. but you know they're, they're not really so kind of in an from myself as well, understanding my own process, you know, uh, and still doing that. You know, people are people are pretty good, I think, you know, including yeah, me. In the general, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah in the general, yeah. The, the narcissism then, is that something that, like, you saw evolve with your career? Was that something you were interested in? Like, understanding narcissistic personality disorder and the spectrum there is on that? Yeah, again, like that, when it, even as as I'm looking back now more and more, because I'm thinking about that, why are you always drawn to narcissism or that book? Mm. Um, looking back now, I think I was a, a, probably around a fair few people. I, just, I don't know whether I was unlucky. There was quite a lot of them around. Mm. But I didn't know what they were then, but I knew they were difficult people, and I knew I reacted a certain way to them. I knew they were different to someone who was having a bad day, or you know, I could understand that, or we are having a bit of a row. We worked that out. There's this other energy. And it always made me really uneasy and uncomfortable since I was quite young. Mm. Again, I wouldn't have described it that way back then. But I was, yeah. And and I think, again, you know, you, you probably hear a lot of talk with narcissism around the more empathic people are drawn to them. If I can just use that, I don't mean to label people. Um, And I think my tendency was that way to try, even as a kid, and I think a lot of kids are, to try and understand things. Oh, I wonder why, you know, maybe there's some good in there. And that's a lovely thing. And a lot of people are like that. But I think now what I understand, the narcissists are like, they smell blood there, you know. And if you don't understand what it's about, because it's quite, uh, and I've got, I've got narrowed a bit by them as, as a kid and a teenager. And I'm looking back now, as God, that's what he or she was, you know, or God, I walked right into that one there, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. and, and I, I think for survival, I became interested in it, I became interested in dangerous people, if you, if you get me. How, and so, even we can all, sorry. How, how have you learned to like, so, I get the impression that you look for the good in people. How do you navigate it in such a way where you can see that there's people who are dangerous if they can see that naivety in you uh, mm. and yet still being open to the idea that people are good uh, generally? It's, it's and, and again, I don't saying I get this right all the time. It, it mm. is a kind of a, a, a tightrope. It's, it's, yeah. The, the difference between recognizing there's good in someone but behavior is shitty and I'm not going to take that, you know, the radar picking that up. I think it came from fear originally being around or recognizing, you know, from a kid upwards, different times, people could hurt you, you know, uh, and wanted to somehow, rather than growing up like I grew up around people that could fight and then it was never that way. It's just, I'm not built that way, you know. So I had to find something else. So I began to try and understand what's going on and befriend. I suppose from a trauma perspective, I was fawning quite a lot, to use that trauma term, as survival. And then as I got older, I began to understand that more and be interested in it psychologically and therapeutically and all that type of stuff. But it was pure fear and survival. You explained fawning because it was, it was the first time I heard it on your podcast. Oh, I heard like yeah. fear. I heard flight freeze. Uh, fight flight freeze but I hadn't heard fawning as the fourth oh, option yeah. before yeah yeah and there's probably more I'd, I'd put in brackets befriending you know and it can be really useful there's times when it's the best. it saved my life you know and I think the qualities that's in fawning because fawning sounds a bit like you're, you're fucking easy letting people shit on you it, it isn't really once you know what's happening the the same ingredients that helps people connect with you need to be there for a befriending fawning connection but obviously you don't want to kind of uh, defer too much to someone and, and let them behave badly. But whatever that is, and it's that fine line and then understanding that. And like, it might be situational. There'll be situations like falling all over someone to say being stabbed. <laughs> you know, yeah. fair play. It's just survival. I just know how to, I'm 
pretty good at that and lots of people are good at that they just maybe don't realize uh but it's it's a way what i'm really saying when i meet a narcissist or a sociopath psychopathic type some that there's that bit of danger from you know mm. i usually smell it and literally sometimes i could smell it i had a, a friend uh god, god rest his soul freddie doyle uh, a fantastic uh, therapist I worked with in a men's group and he talked about that he said Jimmy I can smell dead can... he was just an incredible guy you know really hardcore street guy but beautiful compassionate man I really miss him still I'm still shocked that he died he's only dead a couple of years uh, anyway but that that kind of senses whatever way your senses are so I would immediately rather than that guy I'm not like I'll slap him around the place I'm kind of how can I find a way to connect with them? You no, know, if I don't have to, I'll just get on with you. Like, but I'm going to be in an enclosed space, so they're going to be in my life. I usually look for a way, maybe unconscious, and maybe even stuff like football. Uh, you know, fan, it's fair play. Da, da, da. Might be mm. as simple as that, you know, just establish that. Then if we can get a little bit of rapport going, and they could, they can, because people like that are terrified as well. If they can drop out of their terror. So what, what they usually meet in me is, well, here's a bloke who's not a threat. He's still a bloke. Maybe... He's not losing face by talking to me. Mm-hmm. If I was some other gangster type, that wouldn't happen. So it's like, that's Jimmy. He's kind of a hippie-ish type of guy. You know, I can talk to him, but he's, he still knows about football and blah, 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 blah. And then you might be able to drop into something else. Or not. may stay at that level, and that's fine, and I don't get murdered. <laughs> yeah, you're you know? nodding on it, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very instinctive. And I think most people are, if, you, if they check it in themselves. I'm just developing that more. Because it works for me, because I'm not the kind that can say, right, in the ring, you know, <laughs> I could do it, but I'm always going to get beat. Well, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm doing myself a disservice there, but yeah. Or just coming back to the, yeah, the narcissism there, I suppose, for the vulnerable person who doesn't like see the distinctions in people, that there's people out there that will prey after vulnerabilities and insecurities mm-hmm. that they can't actually see. Have you any like advice or insight for somebody who's in a vulnerable space? And all they can do is they have a sense that something's off, but they have no idea what's off. Mm-hmm. The interactions. Yeah, run. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, so, sometimes, yes. But yeah. I suppose it's a, it's, it's a practicing thing, that self-awareness to kind of to check with that, what's going on for me. What What is it? Is there, what is it about this person? Does he or she remind me of anyone? What, what usually happens? Can I talk to someone? A lot of the time in those kind of situations, because of the way they interact, they kind of, you know, that old saying, they catch you on the hop. They can catch you. That's a real carry saying, isn't it? I've carried it. Caught me on the Possibly, hop. Possibly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was hopping the ball with them, you know, <laughs> um, but they can catch it in the moment, like they're in the headlights. And, and then we can end up kind of giving a lot of power away in that moment. So it's often to actually pause and breathe some of the old to ground. Yeah. If you're interacting with someone and you're getting that feeling and they're asking you to do something, and of course if I say no they're going to be kind of dangerous and they're going to hurt me or they're going to get angry listen can I get back to you it sounds ridiculously simple I know it's a huge thing in the moment can I get back mm. to you give me a minute can I get back and then you either don't get back to them or you you gather yourself and kind of go well do I need this person in my life oh, wait. they could be a family member so do I need to learn how to interact with this more differently will I find out more about this not that I believe everyone has to go into therapy around like that but you know yeah. Uh, could I read about it, learn about it, listen to all these different podcasts? But I got to find out about what is it. In, I'm not to blame. What it is in me that's either drawn to them, or what happens to me when I freeze? Even to start recognizing my reactions and my freezing and my you know and patterns. Yeah. You know, it's um. Yeah, like you said there, it's a it's a red flag for me if I encounter someone and I can't think straight when they make a request or they do something. It's like Absolutely. whenever I'm in a healthy interaction with someone, there's a space there where you mm-hmm. can actually feel and think. But with someone who's like, there's like a, a pressure on me that I can't quite quantify and I can't think straight in the moment. And I find myself maybe accepting something I don't want to accept if I'm not aware of it. Absolutely. You could put it brilliantly. Yeah. Brilliantly does. Yeah. And it's like, and I'm also sensing there'll be a consequence if I don't do the favorable thing for them. Yeah, and it will be. be in the dark. I like what you said in the podcast is that narcissism or these types of behaviors, they can only thrive in the dark, but when you bring to the light, they can't. It's like when you can actually see the behavior for what it is, it has no effect on you. But it's when they, when when it's kind of kept hidden and your consequences are kept hidden and you don't fully know what the consequences were, it's just you feel off about something or you feel kind of threatened or you feel like disrespected in some way. 
I feel like that's where it's dangerous. Yep, that's where you, and another couple of things like we talk about the flying monkeys or the, as they're named often, the, or the enablers or the minions. Narcissists also survive in the dark and they survive with lots of foot soldiers. Right. Yeah, you mentioned so, actually the flying monkeys. I love that term. It's from the Wizard of Oz, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't make it up now. It's, it's yeah. been used in narcissism, but yeah, I, I, I draw on it for that reason. It's a great term. And, and they're often maybe a little, maybe want to be narcissists, you know, wet dream narcissists, maybe they're hoping to be, or or that they're, they're just, they're, they're, as we talked about, they're trauma bonded as we can be. So that maybe they were us and they've got caught into it and mm. whatever, you know. And again, if you've got past experiences of being a, as a child, being around that, and, and without awareness, you can get sucked into that very easy and become, you want to please them. So then you're agreeing with them. And then I'm turning on, you know, say it's you, Dennis, and the narcissist is here. I'm agreeing with him. Oh, yeah, Dennis is a bollocks, isn't he? Do you want to hear what he was saying about you? I did the work for you, you know, much mm. like all the dictators, the way Trump has all the many, you know, the man should have been in jail years ago, but like, he's, you know, he's got all these people making excuses for him. You know, I'm actually, my next podcast is going to be about that, the geopolitical piece of that, drawing the similarities between, you know, what's happening in the world there on the stage and these personal interactions. It's the same dynamics. You know, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I was going to say, is that, that how you understand things on a macro level? Is it like the individual yeah. psychological level you kind of extrapolate from there, is it? Yeah, I mean, in a way, Trump, without intention, has, if, if he's done that in good, right, has opened this right out because he's given everyone, they're all out in the open doing it now. All right, you know, it's, it's coming out of the woodwork. It's, it's kind of okay. You got loads of respect doing this, hmm. being a, a horrible brick, you know. Uh, but the fly monkeys are, are fascinating because narcissism doesn't survive without them. So sometimes, if you can recognize who they are and, and what the dynamic is, what's really going on here, you know, because Ultimately, the narcissist is terrified, not just of me or you, but anyone with a bit of light in them, with a bit of love, that's natural. A bit of truth. It's, just, it's quite a complex piece. Now, that can be tricky because I, I, I might be drawn to that. Oh, maybe, you know, but with any other person, yeah, but once you recognize the narcissist or the cluster B type personality, that doesn't work with them. They don't respond well to empathy. You know, they, they gobble it all up and hurt you. So it's recognized, no, that's that's not going to work. There. But to know, yes, they are wounded deep down, but I can't resolve their wound with kindness and love. You know, that's a whole other ballgame about how narcissists get help, if they do. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose, recognizing in the person who might be... um interacting with that it's also sometimes you might have a need to fix someone as well as kind of to realize you can't fix people either but also mm -hmm. i wanted to come back to like i think with the flying monkeys term mm -hmm. i think it amplifies the gaslighting when there's more people involved in the gaslighting it really makes you question your reality and you start to lose oh. confidence in yourself that's where it's very 100%. dangerous i feel a hundred percent because if you even think of that again i'll come back to the individual relationship and the gaslighting because it's, it's literally gassy i don't you know it's funny it's called that i know the reasons it's called that from the film gaslight back in 1948 whatever it was ingrid bergman and whoever it was great film very way ahead of its time um but again collectively when it's happening like on the world stage like how many i'm just using trump as an example now like in america it's like nearly half the population are still crawling up his arse he's the man hmm. loads of people in the world ah no trump's okay you know it's like it's all that's the cult kind of thing it's almost like that kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for uh what happens when you go into a cult you become hypnosis hypnotic yeah, that's the word i'm after it's almost hypnotic how the gaslighting happens hmm. so it's kind of like well everyone's you know maybe he is okay <laughs> you know maybe all these things i'm feeling or seeing you know and everybody sees with all these fucking wannabe dictators on, on, on film, what they're doing. But somehow you find yourself going into lots of emotional dissonance because you're kind of going, well, they're okay with him or her. I'm feeling all this. I have to, I'll pretend this is there and I'll try and join in. You know, mm. I know I don't do that, but there's, so there's that conflict there. But the gaslighting is so insidious. It's, and it can catch you in a moment. And it's that like, just some narcissists do it like very uh very subtly they just drop a little seed in just to make you doubt what 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 happened you it's know? in the it's because it's not even in the language it's in the tonality and the way they look at you looks and stuff it's very very subtle very subtle yeah very subtle 
Um, I mean, and, and the, the less subtle can be, that actually didn't happen. I was quoting this recently. There was a great film, and I forget the name of it. It was a funny film with Walter Matto, you know, the actor Walter Matto. I forget, mm. I think it might have been called, was a hotel something? I don't know. Anyway, he's having an affair, right? And he's he's quite, I think he's quite psychopathic. Right? But he's funny, but he's quite psychopathic in the way he goes about this. So if he's psychopathic, he's automatically a narcissist. So this is a real typical narcissist thing, but it's not subtle, but it works. So he's having the affair in the hotel and his wife comes in and catches him mid-flow, right? And she's questionic and like, I knew it. Da, 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 da. He stays real calm. He gets up and he starts to get dressed. The, the woman he's with gets dressed. She doesn't bat an eyelid, right? Gets dressed. She leaves. He says very little to her and she's shouting. And he, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. Are you okay? And he, you know, he tests her temperature. And this went on for a little while and she protested and then she just went, oh, okay. She says, I think you imagined it all. So, it, of course, it's a bit unrealistic, but it was a fantastic way of right out in the open of, of gaslighting, like something like that she saw with her own eyes, this thing, and he yeah. had convinced her. Now, obviously, there's something about her personality that would agree to that, but it can happen. It can, even uh, in the open, less subtle way. But you're right, it's often a tone, a look, little come here oh okay you know and again if we're caught into the kind of trauma bond mm. we're going to respond to that well where normally you wouldn't kind of go well yeah i can hold my position or opinion on this yeah i can stand by what i'm saying here i don't need to doubt doubt that the trauma bond can you explain what that is the trauma bond mm, but I, again now if all these things for your listeners, I don't know who they are, but anything that we're touching on here, you know, there's reams of, we're just barely touching on them. I don't mm. have all the, the, the take on them. But the trauma bond happens, and this can be, it's quite, can be, happened in childhood. If you've got childhood experience of trauma bonding, it's where somebody we love, uh, let's go with the child for the moment, a carer, a parent, and the person may also be problematic or have an addiction or a, uh, you know, not operating at their best self. They'd be a bit narcissistic, perhaps. So they do love us, but their behavior isn't always good. And particularly if you're a child, you can feel trapped in that, obviously, because adults, we can kind of, we've got resources. So we become the the traumatic piece, the, the abusive piece, the being neglected, the being hit, the being hurt, whatever it is, the being shamed, is almost merged with the loving activities, which will be there, right? So sometimes you will get some food, sometimes you'll get a cuddle, sometimes. So you bond with the trauma. They, they become one and the same thing. Now, there's lots of other ways to describe it. There's also, Dee talked about it in the earlier podcast, like the chemical changes that happen with trauma bond. It's almost like an addiction. The, 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 the different centers that go off in the brain with serotonin and dopamine. When the person is really nice to you, it's the old tale of like when someone ignores your phrases then you give them a, give them a crumb you think they're jesus mm. <laughs> you know you think they're fantastic that's where the trauma bond that can happen so it's almost like and they, it's not rational because outside of it people look at me and go why is she doing that why is he doing that but it, it's almost like it can look like i enjoy being abused it can look i can have a kind of a sadomasochistic piece of course people don't but that has become entangled somehow with getting love is some of it too the familiarity they don't only different they haven't experienced unconditional yeah. love or, or like a healthy sense yeah. of love that they don't know it's out there absolutely absolutely and that this this is it i've got to make do so the other part is i'm i'm bonded in the trauma bond i'm also bonded to you in terms of my release if you can th even think of like a captivity nearly because it has that feel to it so somehow if i'm a good boy or girl for you you'll let me go or you'll say, yes, you passed the test, you are lovable. That, where we get bonded to the approval from the fucking lunatic that's never going to approve you. So like on the extreme end, you've got the Stockholm Syndrome, where it's like uh, the person who is kept captive actually goes to uh, the relationship there by the time they get free. Uh, yeah. Which is very confusing, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, they want to hook up. What's your name? Can we meet? Yeah, with a cup yeah. of coffee. You yeah. know, and all we're doing is really, it's, it's a very trauma bond comes from a very beautiful natural part for us we, we want to resolve and and realize people are okay mm. you know but with the high trauma happening and that it, it's it's like you are essential to my survival you know and that can happen as adults but if you've also had childhood experiences that it's really intense as an adult that's why people go 
walk away. It's easy. Just fucking leave them. Leave her. They don't realize the bond, you know. No, I have to stay with them. Not, people aren't thinking that consciously. No. They hold my salvation, you know. So in order to get that, I might have to put up with a few slaps or to be uh, humiliated, you know. Now, I'm not saying that consciously either, but it's, and it creates a lot of dissonance, you know, kind of like, because I'm an adult. I know my behavior is crazy. Why am I going back to this person, you know? Yeah. It's a deeper piece. It's unconscious. It's the unconscious didn't thrive in the actions, behaviors, I think. Mm. Unconscious to them. Because like as long when you become conscious of a belief or a thought pattern, you start to see how it connects with your action and behavior in the real world. And you can mm -hmm. stop that, you can break that chain in some way. But as long as it's hidden or you're in denial about it, it makes it very hard to uh, change those behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just want to, to um, move on a bit more to the recovery piece. So I can see that you have some experience with working with people in recovery with the creative arts. How, how does that look like? How does that look like for you? Mm, kind of sounds like I'm better than I am, actually, when you say it that way. <laughs> it's like he's doing this great stuff. Um, in, prin in, in principle or conceptually, it, it's... I'm just interested in whatever can help someone. And and I believe like say music is a great healer. So it might come it might be as simple as just checking in with someone and clicking that they like music and using that to help someone up by oh, bringing a song. Oh yeah, you know Pink Floyd, yeah, that that describes and I you know the fact that I might know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do a piece on that. You know what? It might be that way. Uh someone might bring in a piece of writing. So that might be actually in the therapy room itself. Mm. Or it might be more creative ways to express yourself using different types of therapy, like uh, Gestalt therapy or the more kind of psychodrama types of therapy when I'm in groups. Um, but it's really, I suppose, and, and then not in the therapy room, working for, for projects, doing kind of like youth work, street work, that type of stuff. It, it would be there. You'd employ it there, different ways to engage with people, you know, right down to playing football or, you know, or Is it using a media. The... It's like finding our way to self-express authentically. Is it that kind of part of yeah. it? Or, yeah, that's that's the core of it, actually, Dennis. Yeah, it's it's really about look. If you want to come in the room and stand on your head, and that helps you express yourself, please do. You know, yeah. uh, you know, other than hurting me or you in any bad way, let's see what we can do here. Because you, you, know I mean? you had a good episode there, just your most recent one about the two parts of the child. There was the wounded child, and then there's what's the other name? The more creative the. Oh, I was, or, I was calling it the magic child. The magic child. Yeah, could you yeah. explain that a bit? I think, I think that's quite um important to recognize, like the inner child within that can mm -hmm. sometimes like consume the adult, especially mm. the traumatized part. It blocks them from joy or sense of connection to people. Yeah, and in the context of what we're talking about, uh, course we can be traumatized as an adult. I get mm. that. But a lot of the time, that may be backed up by some earlier trauma in childhood. So often when we're hitting a lot of those feelings, like the terror, the kind of like the deep shame, the adult situation doesn't really warrant that. It may trigger it, but you know, so there's something else going on. So I've been interested in what they call inner child work. Um, when I was having a conversation with a client yesterday about this, and he'd been around the lap, you know, he's done a lot of jail time, he's done that, 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 that. And we were, we were kind of joking. He says, don't fucking do that in a child work with you, you know. I'd rather do more, to, I'd fight anyone rather than, you know, the terror why, of... Yeah, why do you think we're so terrified of our childhood experiences? It is, for me, I think it's quite complex and nuanced, maybe, and then there's so much strong emotion there at the same time. It's quite, can be quite complex to navigate in a healthy Absolutely. way, I think. Absolutely. I think because it's so vulnerable, but it's so authentic, we know that's who we really are. Yeah. Yeah. I feel it's that way. And again, as an adult, when we're tapping into feelings, we're tapping into how it felt then when we were young. And maybe it was more frightening because we didn't have the benefit of experience or an adult brain that's developed that could work things out. When you're in terror as a child, it's, it's terror. Do you remember how long a day was as a kid, you know? As an mm. adult, we can kind of go, this will pass. Like how long a year was days. until Christmas time and stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Where if you're if a child is depressed genuinely or hurt, that can be forever. It's really, really, really painful. So the I think the fear is intensity. Intensity of feelings. Maybe I'll cry and I won't stop. 
the complexity of hating this child as well because he she is so vulnerable but yes sense that i want to love him or her you know uh and particularly for starting to recognize i'm looking for someone outside of me to fix that heal that and of course they can't you know and what do i do you know i, I don't want to look at him or her because again the mega cotton the shame i don't like they make me you know i want to shut them down and that's why we can hurt ourselves because of the, the levels of vulnerability and humiliation and stuff but in terms of um the wounded child and the magical child now there's another version of the magical magical child what we call magical thinking that's not healthy right there's there's that where we're we don't we don't want to face things and we stick our fingers in our ears no i don't want to know don't want to see it. it's not happening yeah that's like the magic you were talking about as well. yeah. yeah absolutely the creativity the magic the curiosity that the part that makes us i think most lovable um and then there's the wounded child and they're the same obviously but where there's been trauma and where there's been interaction with kind of narcissists or toxic type people, and we've had that from childhood, um, that I feel that that can, that's the area I suppose that's most exposed and hurt, right? And in order to connect with freedom and creativity, I have to somehow negotiate the part that's really shamed and hurt, you mm. know, from childhood, including adolescence. It feels really humiliated. It feels there's something dreadfully, terribly wrong with me, you know. So that's the fear, then. That's what often stops us from being spontaneous and free because it connects us into the other part as well. It's like there's another part. Hey, I'm here, you know, and uh, it'll find its way. That's it's behind a lot of addiction. It's behind a lot of crazy behavior. That's what you've got, and it's again with practice the ability to integrate them or to welcome them both to the table. You know, and embrace both you, with equal. Do you, do you think it's possible to to heal without going back to childhood again? I, absolutely. I mean, and again, these are just. I think people are probably doing that, whether they realize they do it. If you're healing, that's happening at some level, whether you're conscious of it or not. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of ways. I, I'm not one of them that says you have to do it this way. Yeah. Not at all. You I know, think it's. Uh, I think it's following the feelings you're needing to move through. And oftentimes, in my experience, it feels familiar to childhood. So I'm not, it's not like I've got a school of thought that makes me want to go back to childhood. It's just that in order to find more authentic expressions of my feelings, they're often in childhood where I learn to deal with those feelings. I think some of it is, at least as an adult, when you're going through a process, you can recognize that I can deal with these feelings now. When I was a child, cognitively, I couldn't. So whatever mm -hmm. way made sense to my child's brain or my body is well, how I was dealt with. But as an adult, I can go and do that stuff because I've got the cognitive capacity to try and work through things. Like, I guess as a child growing up for me, shame was just an awful, terrible feeling mm -hmm. that I needed to shut down. And I would shut that down by not behaving in certain ways. But as yeah, an adult, yeah. I can see that it's important to feel those feelings and see like what sort of information I can gain from processing these feelings in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And it's possible as yeah. an adult, like I think. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you were talking about what, why is there such a dread, you know, and you, they often say it separates the men from the boys or the women from the girls who, who are willing to fate, look into that part of themselves. It can actually feel physically nauseous. When yeah. you make contact with the depth of hurt, right down in your intestines, because it's Visceral. been buried for years, yeah. visceral, and it's really unpleasant. Yeah. But if you can stay with it and kind of go, well, look, you're bringing that level of vulnerability and woundedness to a lunatic, and hoping he or she will heal them. Right? You have to recognize that madness. What would it be like if you stayed with it? If you just, you know, you don't have to do it all in one go. And then you're, you're talking, you know, chrysalis to butterfly type experience. If you can stay with it, it's like, then you're kind of like, I'm not afraid of those feelings anymore. But it's still unpleasant, but I'm not afraid of them. Yeah. You know, I don't have to. And I, I don't need your approval. I like it. If you give me approval, I'll take it all day, but I don't need it. And yeah. I'm less inclined to choose some really, really um, malevolent abusive type person haha you have the solution for me come on let's move in <laughs> you know? yeah but i suppose that's it it's from facing the difficult visceral feelings 
it stops you from like manipulating and contorting yourself in the real world and putting yourself in situations where you'd rather not be in or around people you don't yeah. want to be around. That's the yeah. positive to something that's challenging, I think. Absolutely, Dennis. So what are we going to, as adults, we're going to feel very uncomfortable. Maybe we'll cry. Maybe some snot will fly out. Who knows? Mm. Maybe we'll vomit. Maybe we'll feel like vomit. Maybe we'll just feel awful feelings in our tummy. But if you stay present and adult to that, um, it does pass. And it's kind of like, oh, I didn't die. That's uh, it. It's not forever. It's not a permanent it's, feeling. That's what you realize. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. And children don't need that. You know, you, you give a child your own you, some genuine attention. Children will will forgive very quickly if they get the right kind of love. You know, if it, it starts to kind of go, I think we're on here. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, like uh, I, I just found, I just found there's just processing feelings just leads you in that direction. That's all it is. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's anything you actually need to do other than follow your gut feeling and be open to things and. It's uh the other thing with like cult like groups and cult like thinking is that there's no real room for people who are true free thinkers. So you'll just find yourself not really in those situations too much because it just feels kind of stale and stagnant and just like people are playing a game and it's just not an interesting game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not there. What type of groups are you talking about? Then it's just like life out, out life there, in general. Like like anytime yeah. there's kind of like a cliquey group together and it's like there's just a sense that you can't really share your thoughts and opinions or express yourself it falls mm-hmm. in deaf ears it's kind of like the quality of the conversations are just quite similar day to day and nobody said anything really just a bit different or a bit out there for fear of shame or ridicule mm-hmm. you make the you, make, you say something and then every, everything stops and they all look around and kind of go yeah it's like this awkward silence in the conversation yeah. or you're kind of like yeah. looked at as like odd or different or whatever and you've usually said something quite honest that they're probably all thinking of feeling anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've on that I've actually been in, like say, in different organizations and in groups for this, you know, staff groups for this been bits of conflict, or maybe I was part of whatever. And I might have said something that wasn't popular, you know, called out a bit of gaslighting or whatever, you know. Uh exposed a few flying monkeys, whatever way you want to look at it. But and no, no one else would say anything in the room. I think people are all triggered into child places or whatever, or, or 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 they become flying monkeys and they turn on you, people that were your friend before, right? That type of dynamic. But afterwards in the group, you get people coming up to you on your own. I wanted to say that. I actually felt that I was too scared. Or, I'm not saying I'm really that brave all the time. I'm not, but you know, or or I was just too uncomfortable. Uh, and then I, I'm so, sorry I turned against you. You know, I fucking feel really bad, but... I, I wanted to stay in favor with X, Y, Z because maybe I won't get a raise or maybe I won't get that group I want or, you know, or they'll disapprove of me. So all those kind of things. So I think we talked before about the uh, the C.S. Lewis book, The Inner Ring. Yeah, uh, I mentioned that. Yeah. The author of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. It's a book called The Screwtape Proposals, actually. And the short stories in The Inner Ring is in it. And that's just that human thing of wanting to be in the group. Yeah. But at any expense, I'm not sure, you know. The... The thing is, it's again, it comes to feelings. I feel like it's very, it's very difficult to feel like an outsider and own mm-hmm. that. But with mm-hmm. that comes more freedom of expression and freedom of thought that you'll never get in, with an insider, that insider feeling, because you have to restrict your thinking and behaving and acting to get, keep that insider feeling. Love the way you put that, Dennis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's almost like well. Of course, I'm human or relational. I would rather have some connection in the group. Mm. But if it means I have to shut down who I am in that way, the way you spoke about, well, I'll go it alone. It's a little bit painful, but it's authentic. You know? Well, the thing is, if you shut down, you're shutting down the connection to self. So yeah. there's nothing really for you to connect to other people with anyone in an authentic way. It's just this kind of, it's a sense of bonding, but it's not a sense of real, true connection with people. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I think if you're willing to face the fear of feeling like an outsider and you can gain that connection to self over time, at least when you're connecting with people, you're connecting with people. That's what my thoughts yeah. would be. On it. That's the paradox. So you, you, you can connect more than yeah. quality, not quantity, isn't it? Quality, not quantity. And like your days, it's kind of like your days feel a little bit different because of that connection, like because you're willing to express yourself a bit more. You find other people like that your days become a bit more interesting than people who just like 
go through the motions or don't show yourself, don't be seen, don't be heard anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just more interesting that way, I think. You know, it's painful as well. Absolutely. And like then you can have those, I think, I had a lovely encounter with the postman. Uh, I was expecting this package of, uh, it's, it's to do a podcast and it's a little kind of a contraption of the device because I'm hoping to, I need a sound person at the moment, but I'm hoping to learn to do it myself on myself. And, uh, and I said to Shelley, uh, oh, listen, I'm going out to work. There might be a package coming today because she was working from home. There might be a package coming today. And just as I said that, there was a knock at the door. And, oh, what's the odds? And they opened the door. And I said, is that for Jimmy Judge? And he, and he was a lovely guy, right? He was, I could tell he was, he said, the one and only, he said. I said, yeah, it's that kind of name, isn't it? He said, it is indeed, Jimmy. He should be a, a, a movie star with a name like that. We had a great connection. Yeah. And he left, he said, see you, JJ. And I bumped down to him on the street and we were almost hugging. You know, that kind of connection. So I could tell from him, this was a man that uh, is tuned into what we're talking about. Is is himself. Were you always like good at picking up an energy and vibe from people? Or is that something that like you've grown to connect more with it's a it's a grown thing I, I always picked it up but sometimes i ignore those red flags you referred to earlier on because yeah. i didn't trust myself I'm you know oh, i've got yeah. i've gone into some wacky situations you know well, not a problem that's march right <laughs> on it how many children have you 20 your husband's in prison for he murdered oh let me in yeah yeah he's in, he's in prison for murdering okay that's no problem let's yeah you want money there you go yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating a little but you know oh, yeah I, I can relate to that too but then yeah. some of it i think might be just uh you don't know any different like you haven't got anything to compare it to that's just the experience you're going through right now yeah yeah what else would i do i'm not doing it but if i listen to that whatever's gnawing away in my gut there what's going to happen then i'm going to be alone and yeah. then I'll, I'll hurt you and you know there's kind of a it distorts a bit of like I want to care about someone, and I, you know, uh, all of that stuff is in there. So it's not straightforward. So it's hugely important that when we start recognizing that that we're kind to ourselves, because there can be that kind of even in the therapy world, you can be a bit judgy, like oh, you're being a bit codependent. You know, the term codependency is a huge part of this, as it's like an accusation as opposed to something something's walking through. You know, codependency begins with love, and it gets a bit distorted, and we lose. It's you know, uh... I find words and language, it's a, it's a two-sided kind. Like I find in the one sense, words help me to articulate something to the extent that I can actually see it. But then it can box me in if I refer to that word too often or I categorize everything through that word. I try and find a balance between like, I think it's kind of working on the edges where you gain new words to see a new part of your reality. But then you move forward with that understanding to something else to gain more words and different words. You're never really fixating on certain words. You're just using them as ways to guide you through your reality. That's kind of what I've been playing with. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lovely way of doing that. I think you have a lovely way of, I've, I've heard you listen to your podcast, of making very simple, very comp, but could be complex issues that other therapists in the world, whatever, can make a bit more complicated, you know? You just have a way of, uh, and I think that's, I'm, I'm sure that's why you've got such a uh, a wide range of listeners uh, in your podcast. You know? oh, thanks. Well, that's always been my intention to um, simplify the complex. Because I, I it comes from a pain point of mine. I just hate people who overcomplicate something that can be simple. Mm-hmm. You can just do it in, in layman's terms. That's always my default. Like if I can say it in layman's terms, I'll say it in layman's terms so somebody can get the message. Um there's also a really be, sorry yeah. that can be part of the just sorry for interrupting you. Yeah. Apologies, that can be part of the gaslighting as well. That's a that's a section of gaslighting up here. Oh no, so you'll never you'll never be able to get this. This is that's exactly it. And they're generally right. the people who aren't that smart who try and make something very complicated, just giving themselves a sense of superiority. I'd, uh, a wonderful supervisor. I've got always had great supervisors, Michael, uh, and, and he used to call it. He was really really flamboyant to posh. He'd say it's wizardry jimmy they do wizardry because i'd be talking to him in the big early stage like god i'm a working class guy you don't belong in this you know and they all know this wizardry it's all wizardry you can you're as good as any of them they just do it to hide behind it's like back to the wizard of oz they're behind the curtain aren't they you know yeah open the curtain there's a kind of a vulnerable old guy like you know yeah it's um actually i was just listening to an interview yesterday without shia labeouf and there's a bishop baron i think on youtube uh, I think he was doing, an, he was, he was doing, he did a movie recently on Padre Pio. He was Padre Pio. And he said one thing very interesting that I picked up from Italian and Spanish. He was, 
He said that he, he goes to Latin mass and he liked it because he couldn't understand all the words. So he gets him all of his intellect so he wouldn't have to argue things in his head and just connect him with feeling. Yes. Which I think yes. is a beautiful thing. That's another thing I try and point to is, is focus more on the feeling. What's, what's being felt in this moment more so than like arguing in your head about what you think is logical or rational. So find that balance. Yes. Love that. The energy. I suppose that's why music works so well, doesn't it? It transcends exactly. or animals being around animals because they don't have their right in the present always connecting with you. Yeah. 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 No, it's a it's another thing I try and balance as well. It's a difficult one, but uh, mm. yeah, no, thanks, Jimmy. That was a great conversation, great things covered there. Um if people want to listen to you, I'd recommend giving you a listen to the Twilight Conversations, interviewing a lot of different people. I also enjoyed your interview with uh Glenn Hansard and mm. The other guy is it Dean? Dean Scurry. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting people. So um, mm. I'd recommend giving it a listen. So yeah, thanks for taking your time out today, Jimmy, and talking to me. Thank you for the recommendations, and I um, I've, I invite you on to the podcast myself. So we'll do that at some point in the future. So yeah, return the compliment. Looking yeah. forward to it, Jimmy. Thanks again. Likewise. So, ha- have a lovely day. Thanks. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.